So neurotransmitters usually are synthesized from what are called precursors. And these precursors are formed by gut bacteria. And then these precursors, they synthesize into the neurotransmitter or these precursors get into the bloodstream. They come up to the blood-brain barrier. Most of them are able to pass through the blood-brain barrier and then they are synthesized into neurotransmitters. Today, I'm talking nerdy with Chrissy Constable about the gut-brain axis and microbiome. In this conversation, we're diving into what the microbiome is, how it's created, grown, and destroyed, the relationship between microbiome and mental health, and a little exploration of gastroenterology, the connection between the gut, HPA axis, vagus nerve, and immune system. Chrissy Constable is a yoga teacher, body reader, and gut fanatic. She's always been fascinated with the inner workings of the body and how diet, movement, and breath can improve your mental and physical health. Her goal is to find and teach emotional, mental, and physical alignment through yoga asana practices, diet, and guided self-discovery. Her ultimate mission is to help her students and clients improve the quality of their lives and create longevity. Before we dive into this episode, I would love if you could hit pause and leave us a five-star review and a written review on whatever platform you're listening on. In doing so, you help get this podcast into the ears and brains of more listeners like you. Now let's dive in and start talking nerdy. Welcome to Talk Nerdy to Me, Chrissy Constable. It has taken every ounce of willpower for me not to introduce you as my wife. I'm so happy that you've come onto this podcast because you are somebody who has made a really big difference in my physical health. I had known you for years as a phenomenal yoga teacher and also as my boss at Love Yoga in Venice Beach, California. And then when we were planning our last retreat together, you mentioned that you were going to be leading a workshop on microbiome and gut health. And I was totally shocked because I had no idea that this was secretly a massive area of expertise that you have. And I'm going to share this with listeners as well. I really do my best not to take antibiotics, but sometimes shit happens. You have to. I had to last year and they I think probably saved my life from something that would have killed me, but also wreaked total havoc on my digestive system and my skin. I was having issues for a few weeks after and called Chrissy to be like, yo, can you help me figure out what is going on here? Because I'm having this weird fungal acne infection, like my skin is breaking out all the time. And you gave me a really efficient, easy, and helpful protocol that totally changed everything and got me back on track. And I'm actually drinking right now a matcha latte with turmeric mixed in for your recommendation. And I'm so excited to be diving into this deeper with you today and learning from you and sharing with listeners more of your expertise. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I've been listening as your friend and also as somebody who's actually interested. I've been listening to your podcast since you first started putting them out. 
And you've seen me literally listening to your podcast while we've been together before. And so it's such a delight to be able to be one of the guests on it because I myself look to it for information and new discoveries. And it's a special feeling when you get to be the one that now give other people information and new discoveries. I loved watching you listen to the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Just so everybody knows, Alex took a picture of me listening to her podcast without me even knowing it and without me telling her I was listening to her podcast creep status we were on a flight together and i was creeping on chrissy creeping on me creeping on talk nerdy to me but that's a story for another time anyway let's dive in so i had no idea that this was such a huge area of expertise for you and i would love if you could begin by sharing with listeners where your interest in the microbiome and gut health really started I have always been interested in diet, not in the diet sense of like, I need to lose weight diet, but diet as in your everyday diet routine and how it affects your well-being, your life, your mood, your physical health, your emotional health, your mental health, and so on. Um, When I was in school, I studied a lot of psychology thinking that this would help me go into mood discovery and emotional discovery and whatnot. And then I got into neuropsychology, which obviously gave me a lot of the answers that I was looking for. However, there was always something missing for me personally when I was studying when I was studying neuropsychology, because I always wanted to know more about how these things in the brain were made or how they worked or how it came to be in the brain in the first place. And my mind always went to the phrase, you are what you eat. And everything you're taking in through nutrition somehow metabolizes into the workings of your body. So when I was going to school, the concept of neural gastroenterology first came about probably right when I was in school. It's a very new thing that people are now studying, but it became readily available 15 years ago or maybe 20 years ago at this point. So it was still a new concept. So I had never heard of that before while I was in my undergrad program, but I still continue to study diet and how it metabolizes and how that transfers up to the brain. And finally, it led me to Dr. Emeryn Meyer who is an amazing neural gastroenterologist who actually teaches at UCLA. And he was one of the first people to really develop this concept of the mind-gut connection. He's phenomenal, highly recommend his work. But once I started reading some of his stuff, I was like, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been trying to study. And now here's a name for it. Here's a doctor that studies it and gives information about it. And now I could dive in deep. And then from there on out, you know, more stuff just came out, more stuff came out. And now all of a sudden the microbiome is like a fad word. I think most people at this point in time have some grasp of what the microbiome is. But for somebody who has maybe never heard of it before, can you break down what that word even means? So your microbiome is not only bacteria, fungi, parasites, pathogens, 
that live in your gut, that reside in your gut. And these mostly bacteria, we say, I mean, the other microbes do a lot too, but mostly bacteria not only reside in your gut, but they help your gut function and they help your brain function as well. So the microbiome is, in short, a community of microbes that help your body do its everyday tasks. I think that's really interesting to hear because most people, when they hear words like parasite or bacteria, their mind immediately goes to bad. Like We need to clear them out. We need sterility, bleach, bleach everything. And so can you speak a little bit more to why having a community of microbes within our body and within our GI tract is something that actually fosters health rather than being something that destroys it? All right. So from the beginning of time, there were single-celled organisms that then evolved into multi-celled organisms. And one of the first multi-celled organisms that we know of was this tube-like animal, we'll say, quote unquote, that was just a digestive tract. That's all it was. And it was these microbes, these microorganisms that came together, took in food and nutrients, and then spit it back out from either end of this tube. So then over time, you know, the tube evolved into a fish or the fish evolved into a shark, the shark, of you know, so on and so forth goes through the process of evolution. And now here we are as humans. Some people call the gut the second brain, but in my mind, it's the first brain because technically the gut was first before the brain. So our bodies could not function without these microorganisms. And, you know, there's also these theories that we actually only exist for these microorganisms, for these microbes that live in our gut, that we are actually the puppets. We're the food. Yeah, exactly. And I get those theories and I understand, of course, I'd never dive too deep one way, but it is an interesting concept to think that we actually live for these microorganisms that live within us. That is so trippy. Who is the parasite really? Right, right. Or like we're just the host. Yeah, that is so wild. So now, how is our microbiome, how is all of this bacteria, the parasites, the fungi getting into our system? Is it just through what we're eating or what is the process of creating this internal community? Great question. Our microbiome really starts to take shape during birth. So if you were birthed vaginally, your microbiome is said to be more diverse because you received all of the bacteria, all of those microbes through the vaginal canal of your mother. And then after the birthing process, you may have been breastfed, which creates more diversity in the microbiome. And then from there, you're on the playground with other children who have dirt all over their hands and other pathogens on them or they have a different microbiome because they come from a different mother and now you're interacting with them on the playground and that adds more diversity to your microbiome. So between the ages of one and three is really the height of microbiome growth. 
And then after that, our microbiome is pretty much set for the rest of our lives. You know, it may go up and down from there, but those years are really important in forming the microbiome. And then as we get older, your microbiome slowly decreases the diversity and it slowly starts to decrease just as everything else kind of does as you get older. That's so interesting. What is the value of having a higher level of diversity in our microbiome as opposed to a monoculture of just one strain of bacteria that is just dominating everything? I would say you can compare it to humans. What is the benefit of having people that pick up the garbage every day, that serve you food every day, that teach you yoga every day, that run the banks, that, you know, so on and so forth. Everybody has a different job, right? And with that job, usually comes a different personality, right? Certain people like certain things and they do certain things if they're fortunate enough to. And just like that, our microbiome is the same way. Every microbe in the microbiome has a specific job. And so the more diverse your microbiome is, the more jobs that are filled and the higher functioning the body is. I really love that analogy. I think that it's so beautiful. And I'm curious if you can speak a little bit more to some of the signs and the indicators that we might have that something is off or weak about our current state of this microbiome community that we have in us. Like, for example, when I had to take antibiotics last year, that wreaked a lot of havoc on my gut. So what are some of the indicators even for somebody who hasn't taken antibiotics, that their microbiome may not be strong enough or diverse enough. Yeah, so we see a lot of this in everybody these days. Having gut issues is a main part of life now because of stress and whatnot. But a lot of indicators are inflammation, acne, bloatedness, constipation, diarrhea, And then also it can go as far as your mood. Are you fatigued? Are you depressed? Are you anxious? So pretty much, this sounds silly, but pretty much everything that affects you could potentially be a unhealthy gut. And aside from antibiotics, what would lead to having an unhealthy gut in the first place? Stress. I would say unhealthy environments or sterile environments, I should say. So if you live in an environment that's extremely clean, especially while you're growing up, especially as a child, you're not exposed to a lot of those microbes that we talked about earlier. Certain types of food, like if your diet is not feeding those microbes. So if you have a diet with a lot of fried food in it, or if you have a diet with a lot of meat in it and not enough vegetables, you're not really feeding those microbes in your gut. So that could lead to a angry gut. But I think nowadays, a really big issue is anxiety, depression. And that leads to kind of, well, what came first, the chicken or the egg, the gut being dissatisfied or the mind. And that's a whole other conversation that we might touch on later today. I would love if we could touch on that a little bit right now because of everything that you just shared, what jumped out to me the most was 
the experience mentally, emotionally, and on mood that could be impacted by having a weak microbiome or really poor gut health. And so can you speak a little bit more to where that comes from? And I know this, but listeners might not. There's a huge relationship between the neurotransmitters that are circulating through our body and our brain and the microbiome. So to simplify, the question is, what is the relationship between microbiome and mood, specifically as it pertains to neurotransmitters? So neurotransmitters usually are synthesized from what are called precursors. And these precursors are formed by gut bacteria. So the actual bacteria metabolizes into these precursors. And then these precursors are either then in the gut, staying in the gut, they synthesize into the neurotransmitter, or these precursors get into the bloodstream. They come up to the blood-brain barrier. Most of them are able to pass through the blood-brain barrier, especially like L-DOPA, acetylcholine, and then they are synthesized into neurotransmitters. So the neurotransmitters in the gut and the neurotransmitters in the mind can potentially correlate with one another. Like I said, a lot of this information is just coming out, like it's a lot of new information. So there's nothing that's 100% certain. However, it is thought that the neurotransmitters in the mind correlate to the neurotransmitters in the gut because of this synthesis that happens from the precursors that form in the gut. So one of the main neurotransmitters that are found in the gut is serotonin, which a lot of people know what serotonin is due to the increased mental illness that is depression, right? Serotonin directly affects depression, can also affect anxiety as well. 95% of our serotonin is found in the gut. Another thing that's found in the gut, another neurotransmitter that's found in the gut is also dopamine. And dopamine and serotonin actually help the gut function as well. Dopamine helps secrete and creates blood flow within the gut. Serotonin also has to do with secretion and motility in the gut. And it's not exactly 100% linked to mood disorders yet, but we think that because of those precursors that happen out of these microbes, and because they get transferred up to blood-brain barrier, that if you have a shortage of these precursors slash neurotransmitters within the gut, then it's going to affect the levels that you have in your brain as well. And this is when illnesses start to form, like anxiety and depression. You could even go into like Parkinson's and autism as well are huge illnesses that derive from a unhealthy gut. That makes a lot of sense. And just to give listeners a little more context, a precursor is basically like the building block that will eventually become the neurotransmitter. So one of the ones that Chrissy mentioned was L-DOPA, for example. L-DOPA is the core precursor that we need in order to create dopamine. And I think what's really interesting here is that, at least for me, until I started learning about this too, I had this idea that it was me, right? The cells in my body that were creating these precursors and creating the neurotransmitters. When in actuality, a lot of it is 
these quote unquote foreign bacteria, things that are not inherently found within the body that are helping me or helping us in creating these things that are necessary for our survival and necessary for our happiness. Yeah, it's both. I mean, our cells do produce these precursors and neurotransmitters as well, but our microbes do. So it, it is both. And a lot of the debate behind the mind-gut connection right now is what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? So do you have this mental illness first? Are you depressed first? And then does it affect your gut? Or are you anxious first? And then does it affect your gut? Or is it your gut that's making you anxious and depressed? And from all of the research that I've seen and read so far, it, it could be either or. There's no direct answer. I am definitely a firm believer in the placebo effect. It's definitely significant enough in other research that it would make sense that anything that we are mentally and emotionally experiencing would have an impact on our physical body. And also, likewise, when we're eating things or our taking antibiotics or living in hyper-sterile environments, it would make sense that that would wipe out the diversity that's necessary to create what we need. So yeah, I'm with you. The connection between the mind and the body goes in, as far as I can tell, in both directions, not just one. So if somebody like me has totally wiped out their microbiome, how do we begin to actually repair and rebuild and reconstruct that? So the main thing that you can really do for yourself as an adult is your diet, how you take in food, what food you take in, I should say. The microbiome loves fermented foods. Anything pickled, kimchi loves fermented food. It's probably its favorite thing. Also a high plant-based diet. The microbes exist within your large intestine mostly. They exist within your whole digestion tract. However, they mostly exist within your large intestine. That's where like they love to be. That's like the Silver Lake in Los Angeles. They all want to be there. Does everyone want to be in Silver Lake? Are you sure about that? <laughs> in my mind, they do. <laughs> okay, fine. Malibu. Everybody wants to be in Malibu. Okay, so that's the Malibu of LA. The Malibu of our bodies is the large intestine, just to make yeah. sure we're clear. Okay, yeah, got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes, that's the large intestine is the spot to be when it comes to microbes. But once food gets down to the large intestine, it's pretty much this at this point, it's a very liquidy chum. It's gone through all of the other parts. And once it enters the large intestine, it's high fluidity. So the large intestine's main job is to take out a lot of this fluid and feed the microbes that live in it. So fermented food, the large intestine really enjoys fermented food. It's really easy to pass through and it feeds our microbes plant-based diet, once again, after it goes through the small intestine, a lot of the nutrition and fibers in a plant-based diet still exists so it can feed our microbes. The one thing that I've read is that when it comes to meat, meat can potentially get stuck in your large intestine because it's not always digested well and it can ferment down there. And our microbes actually don't like fermented meat whatsoever. So that's why they say a high plant-based diet, 
which doesn't mean you cut out meat because a lot of people do well with eating meat. It's just after studying this area, I've seen a lot of doctors recommend high plant-based diets because that's what our microbes like to eat. That makes a lot of sense. I know we touched on earlier matcha and turmeric. I'm curious if you have any other little tips and tricks for listeners who might be wanting to do some repair work. I always suggest turmeric because it's an anti-inflammatory and that kind of has to do with the immune system and the HPA access connection to the gut. Do you want to go into that? I do. Absolutely. And I know that listeners do too. So I think it's worth reminding listeners, the HPA axis, it stands for your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So it's this string of interconnected glands within your body that are basically responsible for your stress response. So when your body is in a fight or flight mode, the hypothalamus releases chemicals that go into your pituitary gland that releases chemicals that goes into your adrenal glands, which eventually releases cortisol. And I think we've all at least heard of cortisol. Cortisol is a hormone that informs the body to send more blood to muscles. So I always like to think of the saying or the picture of the mother lifting up a car to save her child. That's cortisol. The cortisol takes blood from your body and sends it all into your muscles so that you have the extra strength to perform impossible tasks. The only problem with this is that we live in a highly anxious world. There's simulation everywhere. And nowadays, our HPA access is somewhat always going off, maybe not as much as it would when you see a bear, but it is always functioning in some sort of capacity because of the world we live in, because of all the stimulation around us. So that cortisol is constantly taking blood from our gut. And there's actually studies where you can see, usually when you look at the stomach, it's a nice pink color, as you can imagine. And when your body goes into the fight or flight mode, it turns white takes like all the blood out. So you can actually see it in these studies, which is really interesting. So your gut is functioning at such a low rate because as everything in your body needs blood to function, so does your gut. Your secretion, it decreases. The movement decreases. Pretty much everything your gut is supposed to be doing, it can't do as well because there's not a lot of blood that's fueling the function. So that leads to a very upset microbiome because the microbiome is now missing out on precious meals because either your stomach isn't digesting the food that's in it or the large intestine is just trying to move all the food out so fast that the microbes don't have time to metabolize anything. Which is why when you're nervous or when you're stressed, you either are constipated or you might have diarrhea. That's very common in a lot of people. Because we have this HPA axis always firing off this cortisol, our microbiome's upset. 
another thing that has to do with the cortisol always firing off when cortisol is fired off in the body and blood gets taken out of our gut the immune system response is to send out these cytokines which is pretty much inflammation i like to think of these little like pillow molecules that just form pockets in certain areas to try to protect the body but when the body doesn't necessarily need protection these cytokines still get fired off. So that's what causes inflammation. So since we live in a highly stressful environment, our cortisol is always firing. That means our cytokines are always firing. And that's what causes an increase in inflammation, a decrease in gut function, and mental instability. That was so thorough and also mind-blowing. So something you've mentioned in previous conversations with me is that this has a relationship with the vagus nerve as well and the immune system. Can you speak a little bit more to the connection between the gut and those two things? As mentioned before, our immune system fires off cytokines when our gut is unhappy or when there's a problem within our gut. And these cytokines are protein molecules that help give information to the brain and let it know what's going on. So when these cytokines get fired off, the brain knows, okay, something's happening in my gut. Something's happening in that area of the body. And then the brain develops a response, which is usually fatigue, feelings of sickness, anything that will help get rid of this invader, this either bad bacteria or a bad pathogen that we don't want. So that's how the immune system helps the brain and the gut communicate. The vagus nerve is another pathway that helps the brain and the gut communicate. This one is just much faster. Like you can think of a direct train. You know, if I'm going from point A to point B, I have a train that literally nonstop goes 100 miles an hour from point A to point B. That's the vagus nerve with the gut and the brain. So the vagus nerve forms from the brain stem. It's the largest nerve in the body. It's fascinating. There's so many things that we can talk about when it comes to the vagus nerve. Forms from the brain stem, goes to the sides of the neck, and then there's little branches that go to each organ within the body. Then, so I like to picture, okay, this is my body. This is this nerve. Little, little branches that go to each organ. But then once you get to the gut, it is like a full-on blanket of nerves surrounding this gut. It is like Christmas, lights everywhere. And this is the main pathway of how the mind and the gut communicate because it's just so direct. There's no stops. There's no interpreting like different languages. It is like, here's serotonin. Okay, take it up. Or here's these precursors of serotonin. Okay, take it up to the mind. It is direct communication. And the cool thing is it goes both ways. So the brain can communicate with the gut. The gut can communicate with the brain. And the immune system, when something is wrong and the immune system gets triggered, the immune system will also use the vagus nerve a lot of the times to communicate with the brain about the gut because the blood-brain barrier doesn't always allow information from the immune system to get into the brain. So this vagus nerve is a faster way of getting the brain information. That's brilliant. It makes so much sense. And 
We just recorded an episode, an interview with Dr. Peter Stotz, who is actually the founder of the Vegas Nerve Society. So we're going to be diving deeper into all things Vegas Nerve with him. But one of the things that I've talked about in a previous episode as well, I think in the episode about amygdala and fear response and the autonomic nervous system is that when we're in a state of stress, our body's going to shut down anything that doesn't immediately contribute to long-term survival. And our immune system is something we evolved as a long-term survival strategy. Because if you're not going to survive the bear attack in the next five minutes, it doesn't matter if you can fight off a virus that would take three weeks to kill you or an illness that would take three years to kill you. So this is all something that our bodies and our nervous systems are doing in an effort to protect us and keep us safe. But as you mentioned, we live in a highly stimulative, stressful, overwhelming world where we're just stuck in this HPA axis activated sympathetic nervous system state all the time, leading to further inflammation and decreased amounts of immunity. In other words, like getting sick all the time. Right. And that's what leads us back to turmeric. <laughs> I forgot about that. So that was a really uh, long explanation on why turmeric is so good for our guy. Turmeric is an anti-inflammatory. It is really important for the body and it's really helpful because it takes out all this extra gunk that resides in our body. Another thing that's really good is antioxidants. I'm sure we've all heard of this before, but blueberries amazing a lot of fruit any like dark purpley colored fruit usually has a lot of antioxidants in it that's really good for serotonin actually and there's a lot of foods like this certain foods have certain nutrients that feed certain microbiota that affect certain neurotransmitters amazing and what about matcha because that was something that you gave me in my protocol was a matcha with turmeric in it yeah so matcha is a green tea which a lot of people might overlook because we see it in a powder form and we just stir it up with water and all of a sudden we're drinking it. But it is a green tea and tea leaves, any sort of tea is going to be nutrition for your microbiome. The microbes really like tea. So matcha is a good way because A, gives you energy. We love, we love our caffeinated matcha drinks, but it's not like coffee where it creates inflammation. Coffee creates inflammation. And also, I don't know about you, but when you're already an anxious person, coffee can sometimes just really, really exacerbate that feeling. So I always suggest matcha because it doesn't give you that up-down anxiety. It's more of a slow pace. Oh, here's your energy level. It's all of a sudden increasing. It also doesn't create inflammation and it helps feed those microbes that reside in our gut. So that along with turmeric and some pepper, you have to add pepper because pepper activates the turmeric, is my daily morning routine just to jumpstart my gut. Chrissy and I, we facilitate retreats together. And I think one of my favorite parts of every morning is when she makes me a matcha latte with black pepper and turmeric in it. As a way to celebrate the end of our most recent retreat in Colombia, I got her a little baby travel-sized pepper grinder. Which I use 
I use every time I travel. I bring my whisk, I bring my to-go matcha, and I bring my little pepper grind. I love it. I love it. So, Chrissy, are there any other little tips or tricks that you can give us before we start to close out our episode together today? Yeah, I would say if you're having gut trouble, try to nourish yourself. And I know that's hard to do sometimes because, unfortunately, a lot of organic or nourishing food is pricey. However, there's always farmer's markets and stuff like that where you can sometimes find these things for cheaper, but stay away from fried foods or heavy red meats or anything like that. Also, if you're feeling extra stressed, maybe give yourself a little gut massage, you know, just feel around there. Just start to press into your belly up and down. The microbes really like that like kneading into cal, you know, to eat good cal, you have to knead it first or massage it first. So give yourself a little body massage. Do you feel inspired to take us through a little belly massage that listeners can do at home before we close out? I would love to. Gonna give the disclaimer to listeners that, because I know that a lot of the listeners listen while they're driving. Please pull over if you happen to do this. With us and you're driving right now or just pause the episode here until you get home. Take us through this belly massage. So we're going to start at the stomach, which is right where your left rib cage kind of ends. And you can start to press into the stomach with your fingers, almost just like you're kneading bread. It's going to start to press up and down. doesn't have to be super heavy or super weighted. It could just be a light little boop. So then you're going to go to the small intestine and there's a little bridge actually between stomach and the small intestine. And what this little bridge does is it gets rid of all of the acid that is created from the stomach because if that acid came into our intestines, it would probably burn a hole in them. So there's a tiny little bridge there. Always be conscious of it. Where is the bridge? Your stomach kind of has a curve to it. So it has two sphincters, one that lets the food in, one that lets the food out. And the sphincter comes off towards the right side. And then from the sphincter, there's this little bridge that connects to the small intestine. So it's more over to the middle, almost like a couple of inches above your belly button. Okay. So from beneath the left rib cage, we're kind of kneading our fingers down and to the right slightly. Yeah. So it ends up being like in the center, right beneath your sternum. And then you can need that for a moment. Then starts the small intestine. The small intestine are those zigzags that you think of when you think of the gut. So you're going to start by just going over towards the right and kneading over there. And then I like to take one fingerprint down and then go over towards the left. I can already hear my stomach making some really weird noises right now. It's saying thank you. That's what it's doing. It's like, thank you so much. Then you're going to go over to the right again and then to the left again. And you keep going up and down, up and down, up and down. Your intestines are actually very long, which I think most people know. We learned that in, in eighth grade, I think that our intestines are like as big as a football field or something like that. Something like that. 
my professional opinion. Very important that you're laughing while you give yourself a belly massage too. You have to. So finally, we come over towards the right. And it's in the lower right-hand corner, like where your acetabulum is. What's an acetabulum? The bone in your hip. So your hip bone. Yeah, the curve in it. So this is where your large intestine begins. There's actually, that's also where your appendix is, which by the way, the appendix is not an obsolete organ. It's actually a microbiome storehouse. Anyway, you're going to go up the large intestine. So the large intestine makes like an upside down U shape over the small intestine. So you start to go up the right side until you hit your rib cage again. And then you go across the rib cage, right underneath the rib cage, I should say. And then down the left side towards the center. So right above your perineum. And then just give it a little swirl over there. And then eventually, that's it. Your sphincter is after that. So we don't have to get in there, but. Great. I love it. And how long would you recommend that somebody do this for? I mean, you and I have been doing it for the duration of time that you've been speaking, but I'm curious for anybody who's listening, is there an optimal amount of time to be doing this for? I think two to 10 minutes is great. I don't think I ever do it for more than five minutes, honestly, but I, I do it often. Any any amount of time, your gut would love you for it. Okay, amazing. And is it best before meals, after meals, in between? Is there an ideal time to be doing it? I personally do it before I go to bed. So your gut takes a rest once it goes to sleep. It does a little cleanse. So that way I kind of get into it before it takes a rest and then I like to do it in the mornings as well so that way it kind of jump starts the movement once again but you can do it anytime amazing thank you so much for sharing that with me and with listeners so Chrissy I know something we mentioned earlier on is that we led a retreat in Colombia this past summer and teachings about the microbiome on your part and neuroscience on my part were a big part of that. Every morning we were drinking our little matcha lattes with turmeric and black pepper together. And also we gave matcha from one of our sponsors to all the participants of that retreat. And it ended up being such a special experience. It was entirely women that came on the retreat. And so Something that I want to share with listeners is that you and I decided that we would lead an all-women's retreat again this upcoming year in 2024 in Puglia, Italy. So from June 1st until June 8th, 2024, you are cordially invited to come join us in Italy where we're going to be teaching yoga, meditation, breath work, nidra, We're going to be eating pasta, pizza, as well as a lot of other amazing, super, super healthy things for your gut and your microbiome. Staying in this 18th century farmhouse, swimming in the Mediterranean, and Chrissy is going to be teaching about the microbiome gut health. And she's also a body reader. She has extensive knowledge in traditional Chinese medicine as well. 
I'm going to be doing some group coaching, teaching about neuroscience, the neuroscience of manifestation. And I'm going to make sure that the link to that is in the show notes. So if you're out there and you're listening and you want to come to Puglia with us, you can learn more about that and save your spot online. We want to also give the disclaimer that we did give first dibs to sign up for this Puglia retreat to the women who came to our retreat in Colombia. And I think at the time that we're recording this episode, there are already six, six spots taken, six or seven spots taken. So it's filling up really quickly. If you're interested, I wouldn't recommend waiting for too long to save your spot. But if you have any questions about the retreat, you can either send me or Chrissy a message on Instagram. So Chrissy, that note, what is your Instagram handle? And if someone wants to learn more about you or from you, what is the best place for them to get in touch? Yeah. So Instagram is a great form of communication for me. And my Instagram handle is Chrissy. So between the SS and the Y, there's an A in Wonderland, C-H-R-I-S-S-A-Y in Wonderland. And you can DM me, ask me any questions that you may have about the retreat. If you want to go further and ask me about your specific microbiome or inquire about body readings or whatever it may be, you can also get a hold of me through Instagram on that matter as well. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chrissy. Any final words of wisdom that you want to leave listeners with before we wrap up this conversation today? So many. No, I think just being consciously aware of what's going on in your body makes all the difference. It starts there. And from there, it's it's pretty easy to live a healthy life. So that's all. Amazing. Thank you so much for First and foremost, being my wife. <laughs> and second of all, being willing to come on and talk nerdy to me. I so appreciate your time and your expertise today. And I can't wait to see you in Italy. Yes. Thank you so much, Alex. I loved joining. If you loved this episode, help us get it into the ears and brains of more listeners like you by sharing it on social media. When you share on Instagram, make sure you tag me at Alex underscore Nashton. Instagram is also the best place to send me your questions about the episode material and make requests for future topics and guests. New episodes of Talk Nerdy to Me drop every single Wednesday. When you hit subscribe, you'll be notified of new releases so you never have to miss one. Last but not least, this podcast baby would not be possible without Adam Russell. Adam, I am so grateful to have had your support in creating this podcast. Thank you for always being willing to talk nerdy to me.